So we get there and the closing attorney says, well, we don't have any record of you paying the water stolen. She says, I paid it. She's patted the table. I paid that bill. I'm telling you, I paid it. Well, he decided to believe her. And I said, hang on a second. I'm, I don't know if I'm too cool with this. And I, I think we need to stop and verify this. And everybody at the table was like, come on, let's get this thing done. It's the second time here. And in hindsight, I should have followed my intuition. Turns out she did not pay the water bill. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Gary Wilson. Gary, are you ready to rock? I sure am. Let's do it. Okay. Well, let me tell the audience about you. At age 40, Gary Wilson retired as corporate VP in a nationwide bank. Since then, he has traded over 3,000 investment properties in less than five years. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you heard that right, 3,000. He has developed five real estate holding companies owning more than 250 rental units. He has built five businesses, including brokerage, rental management, investment services, settlement services, and appraisal services. You like the word, the number five, huh, Gary? Yeah. <laughs> he was accepted into the Andron Affinanon Order of Excellence, and he is the author of seven. Okay, so you went beyond five in this case. In real yeah. estate investment books, which you can find on Amazon.com. He is the founder, trainer, and coach of Path to the Prosperity System, teaching more than 20,000 agents and investors. Finally, he has appeared on over 100 national and local media outlets, including CBS, Fox News, NBC, ABC, Business Week, and iTunes. Gary, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, ironically, I'm probably the least likely example of someone to be doing this. My background is, to start with, won't spend a lot of time on this, but actually spent the first two years of my life flying in a helicopter over eastern Bavaria, Germany during the worst blizzard of the decade. This is back in, I was born in 63, January 5th of 63. So the, the funny part was this, is we were in a little farm army field clinic and they're wheeling my mom out to the tarmac because no ambulance could, could drive with 15 foot snowdrifts. And she told the, the, the army doctor, she said, I don't think he's going to make it. And he, she, the guy lifted up the sheet and said, you're right. He's coming out right now. <laughs> so they willed her into a, an army closet. I mean, a cover with like, you, you know, utility closet. So that's why I was born. Utility cord was wrapped around my neck. So the doctor dropped me so my mom couldn't see it. And he could take care of the cord. They stuffed me in a cardboard box wrapped in like green army wool blankets. Remember those when we were if you ever had a dad in the army. Put us on a helicopter. Back then, they didn't have heated helicopters. I mean, the, the, the pilot, co-pilot wore full body jumpsuits, but the nurse was holding me in a box. My mom said she was crying the whole time because she's swinging back and forth and up and down and winds blowing. And my mom had to wear her coat to keep my mom warm. They landed in Nuremberg, Germany, two hours later, a 15 minute flight took two hours. Stars and Stripes magazine is there taking pictures. They, they thought I was the first airborne baby of the year. They didn't realize I was born right before the flight. So they wheeled my mom out and the nurse carries me, and then the pilot comes out with a placenta in his helmet. My mom's like, you know, talk about you know, lack of dignity. <laughs> so, so that was the start of my life, and quite frankly, it's it's been pretty much like that the whole way through. I mean, it just I just always seem to be landing on my own two feet in spite of all the chaos that happens in our world. But you know, that'll that'll probably give everybody a pretty good idea of um, <laughs> how I roll. You know, it's a wild ride, literally. 
that's yeah. quite a way to come into the world. My yeah, goodness. Yeah. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And maybe that was a wild ride too. And since no one goes oh, into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. Well, leading up to it, my very first purchase was actually within a month of graduating from college. My college roommate, his name is Socrates, his dad was a Greek expert, and he came to the States, couldn't speak a lick of English, and actually put himself through MIT and started investing, moved to Richmond, Virginia, started investing in Richmond, and Socrates and I graduate, we're going to like, his dad said, you're not going to rent, you're going to buy a house. We said, okay, great, we're going to buy a house. So we went out one night, found this awesome two-bedroom townhouse, townhome, a, a block from the ocean. We're like, man, we're going to buy this, we're going to have fun, we're going to girls everywhere, parties, all this stuff. We call his dad because we're excited. His dad started yelling. I hear him on the phone. Get out of that deal. You guys are knuckleheads. <laughs> and anyways, long story short, he taught us how to buy at our first house. He never gave us money. He didn't give us the fish. He taught us how to fish. This is back in the mid-80s when interest rates were still high. Tax reform act of 86 kicked in. So we found this four-bedroom, two-bathroom house, bought it from a, a Navy, enlisted man in the Navy. We assumed his VA mortgage. We refinanced his second mortgage, and we gave him a third mortgage for the remaining equity in his property. And that was my first experience. The closing table, socks down, pounded his chest. Saying, you boys do what I tell you to do. You won't have to work for anybody else when you're 35 years old. Well, we didn't do that. Two years later, I get married, moved to Pittsburgh, live in Pittsburgh for, you know, for 22 years. But 10 years goes by, we're having children. I'm in the corporate world, getting promoted and disliking it. I mean, I'm putting it mildly quite frankly, hating it. The more they promoted me, the worse I, the worse I liked it. In any case, 35 years old, in history is like, man, I should have done what he told me to do. So I started investing. I bought two fourplexes right at the same time. Great deals. But then my next deal was my third property. And here's where it happened. I'm like home, you know, looking back on it, it's like, we all, it always makes sense in hindsight. So I found this three unit property. And the lady that owned it was a seasoned veteran investor and also a real estate broker. And I noticed that the rents were a little high for the area, but, and the tenants seemed fine. But I'm thinking, okay, well, she's just a good, aggressive landlord. She's keeping her rents up. The place isn't like I wouldn't live there, but it's a, you know, CC minus place, kind of rentals where you can make a lot of cash flow. Well, right, even before the property closed, we started having trouble. So for example, we go to closing and she hadn't paid all of her leanable items. Like water is a leanable item. Water bill is a leanable item. You, you, you have to, the old owner has to pay it or you, the new owner, inherit that, that balance. Well, she didn't pay it. We postponed the closing. We come back to close again two weeks later. And everybody's there. The lenders, me, my wife, the closing attorney, every insurance, everybody's there. Same thing. It's five o'clock now. She said she couldn't close till five o'clock. She had to wait till five o'clock because her husband couldn't be there until five o'clock. Well, guess what closes down at five o'clock? Every government office on the planet closes at five o'clock. So we get there and the closing attorney says, well, we don't have any record of you paying the water storage. She says, I paid it. She's pounded the table. I paid that bill. I'm telling you, I paid it. Well, he decided to believe her. And I said, hang on a second. I'm, I don't know if I'm too cool with this. And I, I think we need to stop and, and verify this. And everybody at the table was like, come on, let's get this thing done. It's the second time here. And in hindsight, I should have followed my intuition. Turns out she did not pay the water bill. And $500 later and six months later, I finally got the closing company to pony up. It took them six months to realize and admit that they made a mistake. And all that fighting and all that time was just lost opportunity costs as far as my time. Well, that's just part of it. The other part of it was the tenants. 
they were not exactly Prince Charming and, and Princess Fiona. <laughs> they were, I think, the, the, the Satan, Satan's helper and Satan's wife. I think that's who the three tenants were. <laughs> the, the, the first guy, every time I would go to evict him, he'd pay up right at the last second. And finally, after about six times, this goes on for a year, the judge, he, he said, look, you know, next time you come in here, I'm going to boot you out of that place. I don't care if you're $1 behind rent. So I thought that that tenant's niece lived above him on the second floor. Nice young lady, great fiance, things starting off great. And above her was not a nice person. This guy, this guy really was, a, he was a bad actor. Fortunately, hooked on drugs, crack, all kinds of crazy stuff. I finally almost forcibly forced him out. He, he, I didn't have to evict him. I threatened it. But what happened is I go over there, offered to pay him to leave. So I didn't have to go through the eviction process. And he didn't do it. He pretended like he was asleep. Just a crazy scenario. But long story short is he finally decides to leave, walks out of the house and gets hit by a car. Okay. <laughs> I mean, literally just bang, shoots, you know, flying across 50 feet across the road. That causes complications. In the meantime, apparently he got the girl on the second floor hooked on the same stuff. So she turns into, unfortunately, you know, renting herself out to get a fix this whole thing is just unraveling in front of me. So I finally clean all that up. And you might think, okay, well, now, Gary, you're in cruise mode. You got the property ownership under control. You got the tenants under control. Got great tenants in there. And guess what happened in Western Pennsylvania in 2004, September, mid-September 2004? That's when those two hurricanes came through two weeks apart, the remnants of the hurricane. And one of them came up at the same time as another storm. It's like the perfect storm scenario. And the place flooded. And I had to get everybody out. Everybody had to leave. Now this place is not making a dime. And so I had to replace flooring, wallboard, furnaces, water tanks, the whole nine yards. I mean, this thing was just one catastrophe after the other. I finally did sell it years later after things had stabilized. And I got out of there with my shirt on my back, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, it was just a, but the thing is that what it, what it did, Andrew, it really helped me thicken my skin and basically exercise my risk threshold. So after that, that, that entire experience, there really wasn't much that could derail me and get me upset. I mean, things still happen, of course, throughout all the years, but, but I'm kind of grateful now looking back that that all happened early on on the third property because anything that happened after that, I was like, okay, I've, I've handled this kind of thing before I can handle it again, you know? Mm. But I, that's probably, um, I hope that doesn't scare people. <laughs> what I just, the story I just told, but, you know, stuff's going to happen, guys. You're, you're, you're buying properties. You're, you're involved with the human drama. I mean, people get, get married, they get divorced, they get jobs, they lose jobs, and you're inexorably tied into that drama. So you have to, each case by case, figure out how to be a good business person and how to be a compassionate human being. And the fact is, you can do both. I right. just can't tell you there's a formula for it. It's just case by case, you know? So tell us. If yeah. you had to list out what you learned from that, which I'm sure you've really been able to implement throughout your career now, tell us the lessons that you learned. First thing was right off the bat, follow your intuition. If something doesn't seem right, don't do it. Just step back and pause. And also, if you think about it, that scenario is actually based on facts. The lady had not paid her bill. There was no evidence that they, she had paid her bill. Okay. The attorney had, well, he did not have the evidence that she had paid her bill. So certainly he was making an error in judgment on his part. 
but I'm the buyer. I have the ultimate say, so I don't have to sign on the bottom line if I don't want to. And I should not have signed on the bottom line. That would have saved me months of aggregation, you know? The other thing too is this, is I did get the leases in advance and I did review the leases and I did find one little hidden trap in there that she had planted. What she did is she had collected first and last month's rent, but on the pro forma she provided and on the, on the settlement sheets for the closing, she didn't account for the last month's rent being applied to me. Well, fortunately, I read all the leases, saw that and caught that in advance. Okay. But here's what I didn't do. I should have asked for a certified record of what's called the rent rolls. And I could have seen the late payments coming in and the gaps of payments missed from these tenants and determined that the pattern was there, that these tenants were not great tenants. And I could have been more proactive with that part of the business too. In other words, managing the tenants of the property. Who's responsible for the rent rolls? Is that something that the owner would have to show you or is it at the bank or how is it? Yeah, the owner has to provide it. And quite frankly, the banks should look at this stuff too. And I think a lot of them do. Anybody listen to this, whenever you buy a, a rental property, always get these three things. Always get the last three years of not the entire tax return, just the portion that applies to the property. Typically that's called Schedule E. Schedule E last three years, just for that property. You also want to get the rent rolls for the last three years and get them certified, have the owner certify that those are accurate rent rolls, okay? There's actually a number of things you should get. You should definitely get the leases, review the leases thoroughly. Don't don't just assume because you got the leases, they're legitimate. Review the leases cover to cover. And I also want to see this. I want to see the owner's own records for the property, literally print off their profit and loss details for the last three years. So I can see precisely if there's any patterns about dealing with utilities or taxes or insurance or anything like that. Those are probably the three most critical pieces of uh, due diligence on any piece of rental real estate. The bigger properties have more due diligence, you, you know, environmental studies, service contracts, things like that. But for most people, those three things, you at minimum want to get those. Got it. That's super valuable for the audience. And I think we all are paying attention to that. One thing, if I talk about some of the things that I took away from it, the first thing is the time pressure, the intuition, we are always facing these types of situations where people are putting time pressure on us mm-hmm. and sometimes it doesn't feel right. I think that the first lesson from this is that intuition, there is value in intuition. Mm-hmm. So that's my first lesson that I take away from it. The second one is that this whole thing, if you had stopped it, and not let the pressure drive you into it, I would say that's kind of first principle. All of the other trouble probably would have been all of a sudden exposed and you wouldn't have gotten into it. And when you didn't, when you didn't follow the intuition and you were kind of pushed by the pressure of everybody in that room, then the other part about it is that everything after that, they're just common problems in a way that you're just mm-hmm. facing with something that you own. So it's why I come back to the concept of kind of first principles and that, that decision point that you're going to actually buy is critical. And I think one of the tools that I use for, this is something very different, but it gives an idea of how we can handle, handle these pressures is that, you know, one of the most pressured places that I have been to in the past has been a fitness membership, you know, mm-hmm. a visit to a fitness place. 
because intuitively I want to get fit and I want to be in there and, you know, it feels good. And they have, the salespeople have all kinds of great strategies of how to get you to, to decide now. And yeah. so what I do is I always go without my wallet. Hmm. And yeah. anytime I go to any type of place where I know that there's a hard sell, which, you know, is fine. I don't mind the hard sell. I just mm -hmm. simply do not bring my money. And I say that to them, I can't make a decision today, but continue on with, you know, what is the proposal? Yeah. And that just is a hard stop that allows me to break that cycle of pressure that anybody salesperson wants to do or somebody trying to get rid of something wants to do. So that kind of is my other thing. Now, there's a couple of other points. The other one is that the flood that you mentioned that came from the hurricanes, mm -hmm. you know, we have to accept that investing, there's risk and there are impossible to predict risks also. We have mm -hmm. to be prepared for those. If you're not prepared for those, they can wipe you out. Mm -hmm. and, but, but you can't build your whole life around it either. But you have to know that it can come and when it does come, as many people on the show have, have talked about, you got to be prepared to say, okay, I got to deal with this. And then the last thing is something that you mentioned that I was thinking it was the, the human drama. And I think that um, yeah. one of the things about business and life in general is human drama. And what I've learned over the years is that, uh, you know, the people that are successful, the people that know how to work with other people, and they understand that you can't just, um, people aren't mechanistic. You can't just measure everything and see everything through measurements. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to look at it. You got to talk to people. You got to understand their mo motivation. So I got four big things or three, those three big things out of it uh, that mm -hmm. I would say, you know, were very valuable. Anything you'd add? Yeah, I, I, I will tell you, um, definitely trust your intuition and actually develop your intuition guys. Just like, um, you exercise a muscle, all right? You exercise your heart by running or swimming, whatever. That that there's your you've got your heart and your head. And most people want to are driven by what's going on inside their head. The reality is, you actually want to be driven by what's going on inside your heart. Okay, when you do that, then you put your mind to work for you. Your mind it goes into action. It helps you figure out you know the right education, the right information, the right action steps. Um, based on your, it's, it's there for a reason. It's like, it's like a God given ability to, to tap into the, you know, higher consciousness, whatever you want to call it. But basically what I call intelligence, emotional intelligence. Um, it's, it's something you can practice and get better at. Uh, the other thing too is always really, you know, ground yourself, be present. And I'll give you a little trick I use. I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. My brain's used to thinking to the next day, the next week, the next deal, the next whatever. But what I do is when I'm out and about, I always take walks. I travel all over the place. I always take a little walk every single day. And I, ha I developed a habit of whenever I see a flower, stop and focus on the flower and take a picture. It requires me to be, to come back to present moment, okay? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm awake and aware. And look, look at how beautiful this place is. And the world's a wonderful place if we just simply allow ourselves to be aware of it. Well, same thing with other people. Always look for, um, look for something in other people that you can relate to, connect with, something in common, um, and it will help. It'll help you get through those those tough relationships slash negotiating scenarios because our our brain's going to say go into defense mode and fight. Okay, we know the result. We all want a, a good result. We I mean that's a given, right? But the reality is, is if you can 
if you can go to where that person is, right, in their place in life, in their heart, in their mind, I guarantee you, you're going to have a much better chance of a success. So perfect example, tenants to get behind on rent. You will learn very quickly if someone is legitimately going to make it and they, it's just a hard luck day they had and they lost a job, but, they're, but they're, they got that drive, they got the ambition. It's going to show up because when you call them, they're going to say, hey, man, you know what? I updated my resume. I dropped it off at 10 places a day. I got two appointments next week. That person's going to make it. Person B says, you know, first they avoid you. And when you finally get a hold of them, they're like, well, I hope for this and I wish for that. And my uncle Bob, maybe he can help me. I'm going to buy the lottery ticket. They're not going to make it. Start the eviction process and save yourself a lot of aggravation. If you don't want to do the eviction process, pay them. Pay them to get out. Say, look, I'll give you 500 bucks. I'll, I'll let If you just get a, a van by this weekend, I'll pay for the van. Believe me, it'll save you. A ton of aggravation and a lot of lost opportunity costs. So, and by the way, I don't want to scare you. This doesn't happen all the time. Maybe one out of 100 tenants will cause you these headaches. But that one problem, that one headache tenant will take up 80% of your time until you solve the problem. Got it. And I think I, I like the idea of uh, not dealing with it through confrontation, but try to find a way out. And mm -hmm. even this concept of paying somebody to say, look, I don't want to hassle you and I want you to find a place that you can afford and all of that. And, you know, I'll pay you to help you get to that place. It'll mm -hmm. solve two problems and it'll stop a big headache. So I love that. Now, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? They're sitting in that room. The pressure's yeah. on. The intuition goes yeah. ding, 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 but others are saying, you got to come on, let's go. You know, it's five, let's get this done. What yeah. one piece of advice would you give them? Well, actually, it's actually two, it's two part, two rules for myself. I always think to myself, okay, what's the best thing I can do right now in this moment? And the best thing I can do is gather information. So I always write this down who, what, where, when, how. Get all the facts. Who, what, where, when, how. And if you, the, the why should kind of reveal itself as a result of that. Number one. Number two is if I'm not really certain in that moment about whatever decision I'm about to make or something I'm about to compromise on, then I will stop and pause and say, look, you know what? We need to come back and revisit this. Uh, let's, let's, make, let's set this up tomorrow, 5 p.m., whatever. Um, now, in the real world, I got to tell you guys, you're going to be making decisions where you're not going to have all the facts. You, you want to gather as many facts as you possibly can, though, because that's going to strengthen your, your, your decision-making ability. So the reality is gather facts, who, what, where, when, why, how, who, what, where, when, how, let the why reveal itself. And then if you're not like, if you're, if you're in get gut, your intuition is not saying go, then don't go. Don't be afraid to put the brakes on. Okay. Got it. Uh, and that reminds me of someone who, uh, you know, some very wise people when I was young and having trouble with alcohol and drugs, they said, just don't drink for today. You can do it tomorrow. That's it. And, yeah. and that, that one little simple message helped me make it through and postpone till tomorrow, my big party binge. And um, yeah. that's been 37 years I've postponed those days. So Awesome. <laughs> well, I, I commend you for that, Andrew. I've, I've got a, some examples of that in my family, too. And I will tell you, I've, I've had moments in my life related to business, but literally I'm just like praying, just, just God, just get me to the next moment. Just yep. show, what do I have to do to get to the next moment? What even day by day? It was like moment by moment. And when you live that way, what's amazing is 
it, you can you can be at peace. You don't have to be in control. Yep. You can be at peace. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that because that, that's a big, way more powerful than anything I could ever share with anybody. You know. Yeah. Thank you very much. Well, last yeah. question. So the audience gets to know you. What's your number one goal for the next twelve months? Oh my gosh. Well, I have a. I keep a card with me. It's actually my my daily planner. And on there, it's, it's basically my life's mission. And I came up with this years ago. I was going through all I was going through with broken back and divorce and recession, all this kind of stuff. And I just wrote down, I said, you know, please, Lord, let, let you know, help. I want to improve the life of every single person I meet. Every person I meet, when they walk away, I want them to think, well, that, I, I got something from that conversation. That's my life's mission. So for the next year, what I want to be able to do is, is, uh, do that for a hundred thousand people. That's my goal for the next year. hundred thousand people listen to the podcast, going online, getting your free information, um, whatever it is. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's my mission for the next year. 100,000 people helped uh, by something they learned from me. Well, you're on your way because my audience got a lot from that. So, oh, <laughs> All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Gary, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And most importantly, I want to congratulate you for sharing your worst investment. Believe me. The majority of people I ask to come on this show say, absolutely not. You have taken your worst investment and turned it into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, I, I just want to, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. And I, and I thank the listeners for giving me your valuable time to let me, let me uh, share my, my experience. Um, and, you know, do whatever it is you have, your dream, your vision, Pursue it. Take action every day. And, and, and maybe you can one day be a blessing for other people too. Make, make that part of your life's mission. Beautiful. All right. Yeah. Audience, that's a wrap. You can find all the links to, to all the resources, his books and everything on the show notes. I want to thank you again for being on the show and say that that was another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside. 